Uh, Kaylin, my good friend, no stranger to this community, is another. He's going to be bringing us the word. At this time, Kaylin, will you come up and join me? Yeah, you can put your hands together. I mean, honestly, he doesn't need an introduction. He's loved. Everyone pretty much knows it. But if you are new here, if this is your first time, this is Kaylin Bell, our trusted friend here at Hilltop Church, is going to bring us the word. And he willingly, like, I don't know, it was like two days' notice, I think. And I, I was actually uh, fine to preach, um, but I didn't want to take it away from him if he spent some time, you know, preparing. And he's like, hey, listen, I always love bringing the word of God, and I love guys like that and gals like that. So, Kaylin, the pulpit is yours, my friend. Let's uh, pray together, open our hearts to the ministry gift and to the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you. First and foremost, uh, for this gift, Lord, this is the way we see it, God. You brought us a gift in Kaelin. And Lord, we um, are so grateful uh, to partake and to see that gift flourish in your house. Now, Lord, I ask, Lord, that your spirit would be upon him. And God, that your spirit would be upon us as well. Lord, as we receive, as we hear the word of the Lord today, Lord, help us to hear it. Give us open ears and open hearts, Lord, to receive um, the teaching and the scriptures, Lord, of the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Testing, testing. Awesome. All right. Uh, good morning. Almost afternoon, Hilltop. Uh, good to see you all, your beautiful faces. Happy Advent. Um, uh, Daryl has been leading us in this sermon series faithfully and executing quite well uh, the last couple of weeks about the season that we're in. And so I have the privilege of continuing our focus on Advent, our focus on the arrival of Christ. And I love the worship set this morning and um, just seeking that his goodness is running after us. How many of you know that God loves you? Amen. And I say that because it's been wrecking me. It wrecked me this morning. It was wrecking me this weekend as I was preparing for the sermon uh, that God loves us. And that's super instrumental especially in this season. I think there's so much about the Advent season that allows us to see God's love for us. And uh, I think as a church, the Lord has been speaking to me a little bit about just what maturity looks like in this season. And what does it look, what does sanctification and holiness look like? And God challenging me to a new place of maturity. And I feel like he does that with all of us. He's doing that for our church. It's a place of maturity that he's calling us to. And um, one of the things that I'm realizing is that fundamental to our maturity a fundamental to our sanctification. Like if we wanna be more mature people, more mature Christians, we wanna be sanctified. Fundamental to that is our commitment to the idea that God loves us. We have to be committed to the idea that God loves us. It is fundamental and necessary to the process of sanctification. You don't become mature unless you come and grow in the revelation that God really, really loves you. He really loves you. And so today, if you don't mind, can I stick to my notes today? I'm going to be right here. I'll try not to move too much. Um, I want to share a little bit about God's love for us. In Ephesians 2, you don't even have to uh, go to these, Keegan. If you're rapid fire, that's fine. But I just want to read a couple of verses about God's love for us. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Amen. Romans 8, verse 37. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We conquer through him who loves. 
First John, this is probably my favorite one out of this grouping. First John chapter four, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Hilltop, you wanna abide in God this morning? You wanna abide in God in this season? Come to know and to believe the love that God has for you. That's the encouragement. That's the fuel for sanctification. It's the fuel for maturity. Come to know and to believe the love that God has for you. And I believe that that is our call this morning in this Advent season, that we are to be a people that come to know his love for us. A lot of us, whether we're struggling with patterns of sin, we're struggling with destructive cycles, whatever we're struggling with this morning, I would make an argument that it's more important to address your revelation of God's love for you than to address and strive after fixing yourself from the outside. A lot of us, and I would say, and I would argue this about my life personally, that when I feel stuck, I feel like I can't get it right, I can't get good enough, I always stumble. What always brings me out of a rut is to remember, is to look at God and remind myself that he's already for me. That he's already, he hasn't, he hasn't withheld not one bit of love for me in the midst of my darkest cycles. It's the only thing, it's not, it's not me becoming more disciplined, it's, it's not me striving harder. The only thing that's ever gotten me out of a rut is realizing that God already loves me. <laughs> and I know it's kind of hard to believe, right? It seems a little bit backwards, but it's important that we come to know this, to know and believe it. So we're gonna go through some scripture today and it's impressed on my heart to talk a little bit about the incarnation, God in the flesh in this Advent season, this is what we are leading towards, right? This is the season of his arrival, God coming in the flesh. And I've just been so awestruck by the incarnation for about five years, actually, because in 2017, a friend of mine who used to go to this church here, uh, he gifted me a book, and it was by an author I didn't know at the time, but the book is called Knowing God uh, by J.I. Packer. And he's a prominent theologian, and this book is super fundamental in my understanding about God, and it was at the time, and it still is today. And I love it. I would recommend it for any new believer specifically. But I want to talk about something that J.I. Packer writes in the fifth chapter of this book. In chapter five, he covers the incarnation. It's a whole chapter on the incarnation and how important it is to know and to understand God in the flesh. He says this, Many thoughtful people find the gospel challenging to believe, but many also make faith harder than it need be by finding difficulty in the wrong places. The atonement, the resurrection, the virgin birth, and miracles even are all challenging to believe at face value. I think we can all agree with that. But they all pale in comparison to the Christian claim of the incarnation. Nothing even in fiction 
Nothing, even in fiction, is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. What is he saying? He's saying there are a lot of claims in Christianity that may be a little bit hard to believe. Even atonement, even the cross, even that a man could be raised from the dead. But he's saying that actually pales in comparison to this claim that we see made in the Gospels, that God came in the flesh. He's saying that the greatest movies, the greatest books, our greatest imaginations, the greatest stories of fiction, even those pale in comparison to the claim that God came in the flesh. It's hard to wrap our minds around such a claim. And so I wanna talk a little bit about the scandal of the incarnation, God's heart for creation, and that God actually reveals his love for us in the story of him making his son flesh. I wanna set a couple of ground rules as we go through John chapter one. And uh, we're gonna read a couple of verses through this book, through this chapter. But here's a couple of ground rules. As we read through John chapter one, I want us to do a couple of things. I want us to read it with some tension, all right? This is what Advent's all about. It's about tension, right? It's about the buildup. It's about the arrival. It's about the coming of Jesus. A lot of us read the scripture and we know the end of the story. We have the final story in mind, okay? And we often read the scripture and we skip ahead to application and how to apply it to our lives because we already know the end. We're like, well, Jesus comes, he comes in the flesh. We become so familiar with the story, we are unable to actually read the Bible with the proper attention, to place ourselves in the context of the moment, the desperation and the cry of the people of Israel in the moment, needing God to come in the flesh. And here's the issue with that. When we rush to a resolution, sometimes we can't even deal with the own tension in our own lives, the own uncertainty in our own faith with God. We all have questions, big questions perhaps, and we have a hard time living in the tension. Sometimes we wanna run and abandon God because we don't have the answers. And the issue is because we haven't developed the muscle of reading the scripture with tension. We're so used to believing that God just fixes things immediately, solves things, expedites things. In the scripture, there's nothing expedited about the scripture. There's nothing quick about the story, of the narrative of the gospel. And so I would make a plea to you that the more we can actually read the scripture with the proper tension, the more we'll deal with the tension in our lives well, okay? And so this is important. I want us to read this with tension. Now, I have a friend, it's kind of akin to like my friend who in college, he would watch movies. And this is the most, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen somebody do. He watched movies but he would skip to the end of the movie, the final 10 minutes before he started the beginning of the movie. Absurd, right? Crazy. And it would bother me and because he, he, couldn't deal with, he couldn't deal with not knowing what would happen at the end. It made him, it stressed him out. And I get it, right? I was watching a movie on a plane probably a couple months ago. And it's like when you're reading a book and you're reading a book and you're like in a totally different world and you, and, you, and you look up and you're looking at all these people around you and you're like, you don't know the world that I've just been submerged in for the last two hours. That was happening when I was watching this movie on the plane. And usually, this is how I know the movie was stressful. I'm usually stressed out about the flight. I'm stressed out about the turbulence. I was stressed out about this movie. 
distressed. Like it was an up and down movie and it was, it was really bothering me. And I had to actually like, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie and you have to like come back down to reality. I had to look at other people, make sure that we're all still here, everybody's okay. Take a break, pause the movie, uh, turn on the Disney channel, whatever I had to do to make it okay. I get it, tension is hard. Uh, but we don't wanna be people like that, right? We're reading the end of the story because what you miss out on, and it's not that God is just a story or a movie or something to be understood, but he's a person. And so when we read the scripture, I just wanna invite you that we're reading into a person. It's an invitation from a person. And, we, and that's what's important about reading with tension. It's, um, it's, it's you're missing out on a person. And I actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm also bad at, at, at listening. And there are some to, there's sometimes when people will come to me, and maybe, maybe um, you do this as well, but somebody will come to you and they'll vent. They have a venting session. People come to me with their problems and they ask me, what I think about them. And unfortunately, I'm, I, it's hard <laughs> because before you finish telling me the five problems you're dealing with, I already have five solutions for you. I'm always quick to fix your problems. I'm not really listening. I'm just like, you can solve this really easily, my friend. And sometimes what happens is, is that's, not, that's not what the person is looking for. It's not what the person is looking for. The person is coming to you because they want to be known. They don't want everything resolved. And so sometimes we search the scripture in some ways, always looking for a resolution. We wake up in the morning and we're just searching for a resolution, a resolution to my problem, to my stress, and we're looking for a resolution, application, application, and God just says, come to me to know me. And so that's what we're gonna do in the book of John. I'm gonna start in John chapter one, verse one. It'll be up in this, on the screen here, hopefully, in the ESV version. All right, we're gonna go through this. All right. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Pause. What do we know, what can we conclude about these two verses? Well, we know that John is talking about the Christ. There's further evidence of this later in the chapter, but he says Jesus existed in the beginning. He says Jesus existed eternally. He wasn't created. He didn't come next. He was always there. He says that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's divine, not created. He says that Jesus is the word at the beginning. He gives him a title. Jesus is the word. It reminds me, and it probably reminds you of the early account of Genesis. John probably does this intentionally. He echoes the first three words of the beginning of the scripture. In the beginning. First John, John chapter one, in the beginning, Genesis chapter one, in the beginning. What are the parallels? Well, when Jesus calls, when John calls Jesus the word, we see that in the creation account, we see that word, sound, God speaking, when God says something, it brings things into being. 
So what is John doing? He's saying that when God says, God said, let there be light. John is saying, Jesus is the word that carries out and executes and brings to light the voice of God. He's saying that Jesus is the word of God. He's saying that Jesus carries out the will of the Father. He's saying that when God wills a thing, Jesus makes it happen. Jesus is the word. God said, let there be light. The action, Jesus is the expression, the perfect expression of the Father's heart. He is who carries out the exact will of God. Jesus is the word. He's the expressed will of the Father. He is the image of God. In verse three, it continues. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Further backing up what he says about him being the word. All things in all of creation, when God says it, it was made through Jesus. He is the word. When God says it, it is made through Jesus. He is the word. Jesus is the creator of all things, is what verse three claims. That means what? That there's nothing that can even possibly sneak in or slither into creation that God didn't allow. There's nothing that can be observed. There's nothing that can be perceived in all of creation from the beginning to the end, each and every day, sunrise to sunset, anything that can be touched, heard, felt, smelt, that Jesus didn't create. The mountains, Jesus. The oceans, Jesus. Everyone do this, put your fingers up. Your fingers, Jesus. The galaxies, Jesus. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> the stars, Jesus. Our eyes, Jesus. The trees, Jesus. The, the birds of the air, the insects on the ground, Jesus. The wind, Jesus. I'm going somewhere with this. Remember, attention. It's not rush, but there's a point to this. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. What is John saying here in verses four and five? Jesus makes, not only makes life, but he sustains it. Your breath that you just breathed, Jesus. The heartbeat he just allowed, Jesus. He is the very source and essence of your very life. He continues to uphold it. Jesus is also the light of man. He brings purpose. Everything that has ever been perceived, understood, every philosophy, every school of thought, every learning, 
every striving, every goal, every nation that was built, every military that was, has charged, every kingdom that has been established. The purpose in creation is driven and fueled by Jesus. Jesus also cannot be defeated by darkness, cannot be defeated by evil. There is nothing that can come, there's nothing that has come that can hold a candle, that can threaten, that can defeat Jesus. No nation, no force, no man, no dictator, no demon, no spirit, no principality is a threat to Jesus. You see how we're only five verses in and we've said a whole lot about Jesus. Some of us have read this over and over again, but have not wrestled with Jesus in the midst of it. So what's the point? We'll skip ahead a couple of verses to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of God from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Who became flesh? Jesus who existed in the beginning became flesh. Jesus who was God became flesh. Jesus who was the word at the beginning became flesh. Jesus, who is the expressed will of the Father, who carries out everything that the Father desires, he became flesh. Jesus, who was the creator of everything, there was not a thing who was, that was created, that wasn't created by him, became flesh. Jesus, who brings purpose to man, meaning to our lives, became flesh. Jesus, who cannot be defeated, by evil or darkness or threat, he became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the great resume of Christ confines himself to what? This? Us? You guys ever been overqualified for a job before? Isn't it the worst, being overqualified for the job? Talk about overqualified for the job. Talk about overqualified for the job. How, almost how degrading it would feel to become like us. This Jesus from one, verse one through five, became like me and you, two hands, two feet, eyes. He took on an appetite. He took on hunger. He took on tiredness. He took on sleep. He took on frustration. He took on tears like mine. He took on laughter. He took on labor, put his hands to work. 
He took on the instruction of parents. How could he? The infinite confined himself to the finite. The limitless confined himself to limits. You know, the Pharisees, they really struggled with Jesus and his claims. You know, they said, it's blasphemy for a man to call himself God. But what's the greater blasphemy? What's the greater offense for us this morning as we look at the scripture? Is it that a man would claim to be God? Or is it that this God would claim to be man? What's more offensive to your heart this morning? That this God would claim to be like me. This is a story of the incarnation. And why is it important? I don't know what my notes are going to tell me, though. <laughs> because of what this verse says. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Remember how I said Jesus is the expressed will of the father. We see that again. It says glory as the only son from the father. Jesus is a gift from the heart of God, from the desires and the will of God. And he came down and he took on the finite to offer you something. He's a gift from Jesus. He's a gift from God, Jesus is, to offer you something. He came down into our lowly place to give you something. He was sent, why? Because the Father in heaven desired to give you something. He desired you. He desired to give you grace and truth. Sent from the Father, this is the Father's will, and what has Jesus been doing for all of eternity? Expressing the will of the Father. What has he been doing for all of eternity? Doing as the Father says. And when the Father says go, he goes. He sends Jesus full of something full of grace and truth. Because you know who needed grace and truth? We did. We needed grace and truth. You needed grace and truth. And so Jesus says, yes, Father, I will go, full of the grace and truth that is required. Jesus gave up the wealth of heaven for what? So you would know God. Jesus gave up the wealth of heaven so you would know the Father. Why? Because the Father desired it. You suck in sin this morning? Look at the Father's heart. God wants you. He wants grace and truth in your life. His desire is for you. Stuck in despair, the Father's heart is for you. Just a couple more scriptures and we'll close. Verse 16. 
What is this grace and truth, really? For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. The law that was given to Moses was passed on by Moses. But what the law could only do was condemn. The law could only bring death. What the law revealed is that over and over and over again, the finite, our hands and our feet, our flesh and our desires could not ascend to the Father, could not ascend to the heavens, could not become holy. It's what the law shows us. You can't. You're too far and you're too weak. You're too broken. You're too sinful. You're too wicked. You cannot ascend. The law came through Moses, but through Jesus Christ, we have something new. We have received what? Grace upon grace. We have received grace and truth. What grace and truth shows us, the law shows us we can't ascend. What grace and truth shows us is that God descends. Grace and truth shows us that God descends. Having issues getting your life together, God descends into your mess. Having issues figuring it out in your relationships, in your marriage or with your kids, God descends. Having issues with depression or despair, God descends. The goal this morning is not to ascend, but to receive grace upon grace. We see Jesus over and over again expressing the will of the Father, which is what? In verse 16, grace, or verse 17 maybe. I just want to see it up here. The law... 18, I don't have the verses on here, yeah. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. Jesus, he has made him known. What is the Father's heart to be made known? I wanna know God. Well, God wants to be known. Oh, I, 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 I need to become more mature. Well, God, he... he his desire is to mature you. Well, I, I, I need more grace. I need grace. I need strength. His desire is to give you grace. His desire is to give you strength. If we ever walk a day in this life without the understanding of God's desire first, we'll, we'll never be able to do or accomplish or become. It's always God's desire first. You wanna know something about revival? We're in a city where we hear a lot about revival, right? 
I guarantee you, if you got a revelation of how much God cares about revival, you'd care about revival a lot more. If you got a revelation about how much God cares about your marriage, you'd care about your marriage a lot more. If you got a revelation about how much God loves your kids, you would love your kids a lot more. If you got a revelation of how, God, how much God loves his church, we'd be a little bit different, wouldn't we? It starts with God's desire. Lord, reveal to us your heart. God loves you this morning. That ought to change your life. God loves you this morning. That ought to wreck your life. God loves you this morning. That ought to transform your life. God descends. If we ever wanna know what the heart of the Father is, one thing that John 1 tells us is to look at Jesus. He's the expressed image, doing exactly as the Father says. You wanna know what God's will for you is, his heart, his desire, look at Jesus. Our life to the day we die, this is our one goal, look at Jesus. Today, I don't know what you've been looking at. You've been looking at your own brokenness, you've been looking at your own problems, my plea to you, look at Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for revealing your son to us. Thank you for showing us your heart, your desires, your will. Thank you for not abandoning us but pursuing us. Thank you for not requiring ascension, but descending. Thank you for choosing us over and over again. And not just choosing us, but showing us your love by sending your one and only, by revealing to us your great desire to redeem, to restore, to set free. God, I thank you, Lord, that you emptied yourself up. You chose humility. You chose to be a servant. It wasn't the fate that you deserve, we agree, to be like us, but you chose it because our God loves And in Advent, God, we welcome the story, a sign of hope for every circumstance and situation, every problem, every heartbreak, every disease, every place of tension, I pray where we have been looking for resolution, I pray we would find Christ in every place. I pray in every corner, to the left and to the right, every prayer, every song, every conversation, every gift, we would find Christ. 
I pray in the midst of the darkest of days, we would find Christ. You descend. Father, we thank you for revealing your heart to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Such a good reminder, isn't it, um, this morning? Um, you know, the one thing that I was just thinking about, not that I need to add anything um, or, or feel the pressure to, but, um, you know, as Kayla was speaking, I, I just was kind of like reminded that God has not left us in the dark, you know, um, that through the example of Christ, as Kayla was preaching, we can know um, the will of God. We can know the heart of God. We, we can know that if our, our marriages are broken or like Caitlin said, um, you know, our lives feel ensnared in some kind of besetting sin. We, we, we know, given the life of Christ, on full disclosure in the Gospels, how to see light, how light can penetrate those very dark, dark areas of our lives. It is all revealed in Christ. <laughs> and I just was amazed by... I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've thought of this before, but that God has not left us in the dark. You know, a great light entered the world is what the scriptures proclaim in the Old Testament when Christ was born. And that light continues to give light to us today in our dark circumstances, in our dark uh, scenarios, in our dark uh, uh, situations. And so I'm just so grateful that, that, that today there's hope that there's hope and there will continue to be hope until the very last breath that we breathe or be it we live long enough, we see the clouds peel open and Christ reveal himself and come and establish his rule and reign. And so as Advent is supposed to do, it reminds us that, that Christ has shined his light and that light continues to shine various places of our darkness and it brings light it brings hope and it brings transformation so Jesus as we close I know Kaylin already did we just want to give thanks we want to give thanks for that eternal light that shines even now in the darkness of our situations and circumstances in the darkness of culture Lord, in, in, in the darkness of what's going on in the political landscape and the, 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 the entertainment landscape, Lord, Lord, a light still shines brightly with the life and the hope and the message of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we receive today, as Kaylin articulated here, both truth and grace, the truth of that light and the grace that extends towards us. Thank you, Lord, that you do love us. For God so loved the world. <laughs> the motivating factor, Lord, of this season we're celebrating today, Advent, Lord, was all motivated by God's love for the world. <laughs> and Lord, we include ourselves in that number, for we are part of this world. We thank you that you sent Jesus because you loved us and you desire that none of us would perish that we would have everlasting life in your son, Jesus. Amen. Um, we're going to bring things to a close. Naturally, uh, as was mentioned in announcements, the info center is open, man. If you want to 
figure out some more information. Maybe if you're new here and you're like, hey, I want to get plugged in a little bit more into this community of faith. I want to turn your attention over there. And then just encourage everyone to make it on out the 23rd of of December, excuse me, this this upcoming Friday. It's going to be a short service. We have some things planned to make it kind of special and memorable. But um, man, I want to just encourage you, get out for it. Uh, Invite a friend. There's going to be a a short little brief um, introduction to the gospel. Um, And so it's just a good time to maybe invite somebody that you think um, wouldn't normally come to church. uh, So um, the 23rd, I think it's at what, 6.30? 6.30 p.m. here at the Dante come. And again, if you're um, still on the fence, whether you're going to attend this year's retreat, I want to encourage you, get off that fence. Sign up, secure your spot. It's going to be an awesome time together as a community in the presence of the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, as always, the altar will be open for anyone who needs prayer. Um, There'll be a couple of us up here ready and willing to pray for you. Um, Other than that, enjoy your day and enjoy your week and get back here the 23rd of December um, to celebrate Christmas with us.